Well, thanks very much. It's great to be back. Um, and uh, thank you for your welcome. Michelle and I uh, value that very much. And um, it's good to be with you um, uh, this morning. Uh, big hello and uh, love to you all from Westview Baptist Church in uh, Duneside, uh, where they are uh, well into their service. They start at 9.30. Uh, and uh, they probably are now um, also preparing for their communion time uh, uh, together, but uh, a big hello to, to you all from, from them. I'm going to read um, from Hebrews chapter 13, and uh, as the morning progresses, you might question why I chose this passage, because there are only two verses in this whole passage that I want to focus on, uh, but they're not consecutive verses, so uh, we're going to read quite a lump from uh, Hebrews 13. Uh, and then uh, I'll pray and, and we'll see what the Lord has to say to us this morning from, from this passage. Hebrews 13, uh, starting at verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 17. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honour among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what command do to me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burnt outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray together. Our Father, it is indeed good to uh, meet together and to meet uh, around your word. And as we uh, seek uh, your truths to come into our lives and to uh, play uh, such a significant role in who we are and what we are about as your church, uh, we pray that through your spirit, through the unity that we have uh, with your Holy Spirit, each of us would be encouraged to consider uh, who we are uh, in Christ, who we are in fellowship together, uh, and, and to do these things in order to bring praise and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, 
I am an elder at Westview Baptist Church and uh, recently had the privilege of um, attending uh, the accreditation service of nine candidates uh, for the ministry. Uh, one of those candidates um, was JJ uh, Bomford, who is the pastor at Westview. Uh, he's a fellow elder with me, and uh, he's a really good friend of mine. And so it was a joy and a privilege to represent uh, Westview um, at, at that service. COVID meant that there were only two people who could go, and so it was a privilege to represent the church. There was a very encouraging message that day from God's Word, delivered by um, a guy called Tony Cowman, and um, uh, he, he delivered a very encouraging message that afternoon, but he did indicate at the very beginning that some of what he was going to say that day um, might be considered slightly heretical uh, by members of our denomination. He suggested that on that amazing day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, uh, when the Holy Spirit had come with power on the, on the apostles and they preached the gospel um, and, and 3,000 people came to faith that day, he, he said that there was every possibility that not even all of those people were baptised by immersion. There was an audible groan, I think, from some of the hierarchy of the association at that time. Um, but Tony's talk sort of made me think about that great day what happened after that fabulous day? What happened to those people? How did the apostles um, administer their care uh, and, and their nurturing and their nourishing of these new believers in Christ who, who came to faith on that day? It, it got me to wondering how that happened. You don't have to wonder with the scriptures for too long. You just keep reading and and things become obvious. Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 47, tells us what happened. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. I think we can safely assume that they met regularly to do these things, obviously in the temple, but I'm sure in people's homes, wherever they could meet together, they met to share in this fantastic experience that they had been a part of. Unity and fellowship in the spirit, having all things in common to the point where many of them Sacrifice gave up so much to provide for many. All done with glad and generous hearts, with praise to God. They experienced the joy of seeing day after day more and more people coming to faith in Jesus. I don't know about you. It sounds about the closest thing to heaven on earth that I could possibly imagine. I, I just think it's like that. And as you continue to read through those chapters of Acts that describe 
um, the life of the, of the early church, this euphoria continues almost uninterrupted with the exception of a couple of little speed humps, if you like, uh, in, in what was happening. There was the very unpleasant um, incident of Ananias and Sapphira, who, um, yeah, whose actions threatened to burst that bubble of joy um, yeah, when they didn't do uh, the right thing. And then the next speed hump was when the church had to um, overcome a relatively minor um, logistical problem, which resulted in um, actions that have played a part in almost every Christian church down the centuries. Um, and we continue uh, to read in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, um, about that very almost insignificant incident which, which has had such a profound impact on churches over all these years. Now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of, of the food. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The appointment of the first deacons. Um, that's what these seven guys were. A practice that has been repeated uh, throughout the history of the church in many different ways, depending on how your churches, how churches um, do it, but these were the first ones. The apostles were recognised as the spiritual leaders of the early church in Jerusalem, and then as it spread around the whole Mediterranean region, um, they, and they and the remaining 11 whom Jesus had chosen uh, to follow him in his earthly ministry were gifted by God uh, to take on that, that leadership role. They were blessed and enjoyed that relationship, that bond with Christ, which prepared them for taking on the leadership of his church, shepherding his people. Judas uh, was replaced by Matthias in Acts chapter 1, and then Paul was specifically called by God, um, by Jesus Christ himself, to be an apostle, to minister his word to uh, the Gentiles. And then Barnabas uh, Paul's companion is also referred to as an apostle, an apostle as is James, uh, the brother of Jesus, uh, who goes on to lead the church in Jerusalem. Um, and then finally, in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, uh, there's evidence that two other men, Andronicus and Junia, uh, whom Paul calls his fellow kinsmen and prisoners, both believers before Paul's conversion, uh, these two may also have been recognised as Apostles. So probably 18 at the most, uh, 16 if you don't count the last two, um, as I mentioned. The uniqueness of apostleship, limited to so few, meant that leadership of the church was not going to last very long if they were the um, only ones who were going to be recognised in that leadership role. And as these men started to uh, die off, um, naturally or through persecution, uh, something had to be done in the church to address this issue, to replace them in these leadership roles. Um, as the church expanded, 
new leaders had to be recognised and appointed uh, to take on those roles. So the church adopted the tradition of appointing elders. Um, other words in the scripture that, that are the same thing that you might be familiar with are overseers, bishops, shepherds, pastors. They're all the same uh, position. They're all the same um, responsibility. Uh, they were appointed to continue the role of the apostles in leading the church in the vital roles mentioned in, in Acts in these early days. The idea of eldership would not have been new to uh, these people, to these, to these early churches. The tradition of mature, experienced people, uh, perhaps you know, people who rec recognise with, with wisdom, um, taking on leadership within a village, a, a town, a community, that would not have been a new concept. Even within the synagogue that they probably were all familiar with, uh, the idea of, of these people, elders, um, it would not have been a new, a new concept to them. And in the book of Hebrews, there are listed a number of helpful instructions and directions for churches to follow for the benefit of developing uh, and growing passion and devotion within disciples um, of Jesus, followers of Christ. But for our purposes this morning, uh, we're going to focus on those two verses that you probably recognised as we were reading through our Bible reading this morning. Verse 7 from Hebrews 13 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then down to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Remember your leaders, elders, because they spoke the word of God to you. And certainly, as 1 Timothy and, and Titus chapter 1 clearly indicate, being able to teach or preach the word of God uh, is one of those characteristics, those qualifications, if you like, of recognising those God has called and ordained uh, for the leadership, for the eldership of his church. It's not always just from standing at the front uh, and preaching a sermon that they've spent many, many hours preparing. Um, I'm sure, uh, like me, you look back with great joy at those who have spoken God's word into your life um, and provided counsel, wisdom, guidance, perhaps even discipline and instruction. Uh, and remember with great joy and respect and affection uh, those people that you recognise having that ability to speak God's word into your life. This remembering of these people is to prompt the church community to consider the outcome of the actions of these people, of these leaders. Carefully observe not only their words, but the manner in which they conduct their life. How do they live within their family? How do they live within the community of believers? How are they seen by those outside of the church in the wider community? Consider all of these things. To do what? To imitate their faith. To imitate their faith. It's not their actions or their behaviours. It's not to imitate their ministries. That's not going to help build the church. That may produce a poorer version of that person. 
but it's not going to build the church. Imitate their faith is going to build our church. The process is not to reproduce the same type of person, the same behaviours, the same ministries. It is to reproduce faith, which will reproduce the fruit of righteousness, grow their trust in Christ, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. People are not. People will change. People will fail. People will let us down. But Jesus Christ will never do that. Leaders come and go. Good leaders, bad leaders, ones we love, others we respect. But every, even the very best of them are flawed, just as we all are. And so we're called to imitate their faith, not their ministries. And so that leads the writer of the Hebrews to instruct us to obey our leaders and submit to them. And if you like submitting to anything, to anyone, um, in this day and age, uh, we are loath to hear those words uh, and to apply them. Um, I don't think you have to be, um, uh, you know, you have to watch the news uh, to look at uh, how people don't like following government instructions. Even in this COVID time, uh, there are those who have really resisted the restrictions that have been put in place. We are loath to want to do this. So why is he able to demand this of the church? Why is he able to instruct the church to submit and obey uh, these leaders? I think there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's because these elders, uh, they're only elders because God has ordained them to be so. And God has gifted them with the ability to lead his church. We've always got to keep that in mind. This is God's church. You are God's people. And he has ordained people to lead his church. God has gifted them. He has given them abilities to be able to do that. The membership of the local church then recognises what God has done so that the local church, uh, so that that, so that they then can confidently obey and submit to their leaders. Elders are accountable. They are accountable to God, but they are accountable to the membership of the church. They are accountable to you. That is a really important thing to remember. They are not superhumans. Uh, they do not make up the rules to suit themselves. They are accountable to the local church and to God, of course. But that's an important concept to remember when you're considering the structure, the leadership structure of your church. This is one of the great Baptist traditions, one of those things that makes us distinct from other denominations. Congregational governance, based on what we believe the Bible teaches, that the authority and the decision-making ability of the local church is found in that gathering of that local body to recognise what God has ordained and done. It's not in little groups that meet outside together to plan a few things. It's not in little groups that meet uh, on a separate occasion at a different place. It's when they gather together, talk things through, pray things through, reason things through together in unity. That's 
where the church gets its authority from. The second reason the writer of the Hebrews can demand obedience and submission to leaders is because of what those leaders are charged with doing. Obey your leaders and submit to them because they are keeping watch over your soul. I've been an elder at Westview for nearly 14 years. Um, and every time I read this passage, it does send a shiver down my spine when I consider that responsibility of eldership of God's church at Westview. I'm to keep watch over the souls of those people. That's an awesome responsibility. There's a great joy in it. Please don't get me wrong. There is a huge joy. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. But it is an awesome responsibility that I am accountable to God for and to Westview. The Apostle Peter, referring to himself as an elder in 1 Peter 5, exhorts all elders to shepherd God's flock, his church, exercising oversight over the souls of the members of their churches. It's just not words. These are really important instructions for people who will take on these roles that God has prepared them for. Of course, how each eldership does this will vary greatly from church to church, but there are great guidelines for all elderships to model in the scriptures. If we go back to Acts chapter 6 for a moment with the appointment of the seven deacons, these appointments freed up the apostles, those forerunners to elders, to focus on prayer and the ministry of God's word. And this is the pattern that future elderships would be charged with following in their efforts to keep watch over the souls of the churches that God placed them in. It is the responsibility of the elders to uphold, to support, to champion the purpose, the mission, uh, the vision uh, and the values of the local church that they're a part of through their oversight of the senior pastor, the pastoral team, the ministry team leaders, the deacons, through all of those things, it is their responsibility to watch over the souls of the people that God has given them. And along with the ability to teach or to preach, that's the difference between elders and deacons. It is this oversight, overview of the need to keep watch over the souls of God's church that distinguishes those two offices. And the scriptures, I believe, make it very clear that there is both a need for elders in the first place and a need for elders, plural, um, more than one, uh, as we want to say these days, as a part of best practice uh, within our church. Titus 1 is very helpful in outlining the godly characteristics churches should look for in recognising those God has ordained as elders, but it's also helpful in making this point about the need for elders and the need for more than one elder. Titus 1 verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in, into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That's the ESV. The NIV uh, has a different uh, way of saying it. I like it a little better. The NIV says, Paul left Titus on Crete to straighten out and complete what had not been finished and appoint elders. It was necessary, it was vital for this to happen uh, 
in these local churches so that they could function well, so that they could operate uh, and grow and see people cared for, see these souls watched over, nurtured, nourished. This was important. It had to happen. I'm not an advocate for adopting too many corporate structures or corporate thinking as a model for organising churches, but to have a clear understanding of a church's leadership and accountability structure is so helpful both for the church and also for those leaders to know that accountability structure is so important in making churches effective and fruitful in the ministry of their purpose and their mission. I'm also not a biblical scholar in the formal sense of the term. I don't know my Greek from my Hebrew from my Swahili. Um, I I haven't been to Bible college as some have. Um, And some would argue that the word elders here in in Titus 1.5, appoint elders, refers to the fact that there is more than one church. Appoint elders because there's more than one church. And that might be doing that doesn't suit me this morning to think that way. It suits me to think along these lines, that the elders here refers to appoint more than one. Appoint elders in each of these churches. My experience tells me that being an elder is not a role I would ever relish fulfilling by myself. Circumstances might dictate that in smaller churches only one elder is recognised, but as far as is possible... Elderships work best in a team supporting the pastor in his role or her role as a fellow elder. That's the best way for this to happen. I've been blessed over these 14 years. At one point, uh, we had five elders uh, at Westview. Um, Due to circumstances, we have two right now. We are constantly looking for those that God is calling and equipping uh, to take on that role. Uh, We've been through the process a couple of times to uh, find others. Right now, it hasn't really come into being. But we are constantly on that search. Working in teams makes elderships work much, much better for the benefit of the church. And the benefits, the joy of sharing the responsibility of keeping watch over the souls of the local church, supporting the purpose, mission, vision and values of that church doesn't mean an eldership will always agree on every single issue that comes before them, every proposal that they have to um, uh, consider. But what it does mean, I hope, is that an eldership will never come before the church with an idea, a proposal uh, that the eldership does not ultimately all agree on. And so it may take some time for them to consider uh, what to do in certain circumstances. Give them that time. Give them that space. It will be to your advantage if you do that. It is much better to find that common ground of agreement rather than to simply um, come to a majority decision. It is much better to come to a place where everyone agrees. So allow that to happen. Give it that time. It may even be that you have to postpone or even abandon an idea to allow that unity of the spirit to continue. Don't be afraid to do that. It just may not be the season or the time for whatever it is that they were considering. 
although it's also true of the dissenting people to consider that as well. Um, they don't hold the church to ransom. Uh, they need to be considerate of, uh, of the rest of, of the church. But, it, of course, it's not all about these elders that God has ordained and recognised. There is an important obligation uh, for the local church to consider as well. Uh, back to Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. We've talked about these things. But this is the responsibility of the local church. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Collectively, the membership of the local church uh, has the final authority for decisions and appointments, uh, and that body must hold leaders to account for their role in administering the church's purpose, mission, vision, values. But this is to be done in such a way of great benefit for you guys, for the local church. So how does that work? In encouraging the spirit in an encouraging spirit, supporting the leadership in prayer with love and affection, with gentleness in criticism, patience as you wait not only on God but on those he has ordained to be your leaders so that you can enjoy your submission and your obedience to them because you know that what they are doing is watching over your souls. See how it's all connected, see how it kind of goes around in a bit of a, a circle? It's amazing how often God's word does that. The advantage for the churches that recognise these people in this vital role will be evident in the conduct that these people produce. And so you will imitate their faith. You will imitate their faith. How a church gets to the green pasture, the still waters of God's grace uh, in this uh, space of appointing elders is a wonderful journey. It's a wonderful experience. You will learn so much about yourselves as a church. We constantly learn so much about ourselves at Westview as we're seeking other elders. Um, I would encourage you to be patient. I would encourage you to pray often, constantly over this matter. But more importantly, it's another step in the process, I believe, of transforming more and more to the pattern of God's kingdom, of God's will for his church, and less and less to the pattern of this world, appointing elders, submitting to them, obeying them, and those people watching over your soul is so counter to what we see in uh, secular leadership these days, where leaders are meant to be bold and, 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 and out there and loud, that's not the way of God's church. So to be doing that, to be conforming, to be transformed in that space is so much more worthwhile. I want to leave you with this encouragement from Hebrews 13 as the chapter concludes from verse 20 to verse 21. And this is my prayer for any church that is seeking um, to find elders in this day. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for uh, the history of your church that has been preserved for us in your word. We thank you for those very broad guidelines that we see uh, about how uh, churches are to function. And we thank you, Father God, for those specific things that we still can read and apply in our church today, thousands of years after these things happened. The appointment of deacons, the the ordination of of, um, elders, uh, the way that churches should love and care for each other. Father God, it's not easy uh, in in these times uh, to do these things and to do them well, but I pray uh, that you would give us the grace, the knowledge, the wisdom and the patience, the endurance uh, to find a way to do these things well so that we would be following your will and doing those things that please you as your church. So I pray your blessing on us as we consider your word this morning in the life of Penrith Baptist Church, Westview Baptist Church, and your church everywhere. Uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.